Hi, thank you for tuning in to the Finding Harmony podcast with me, your host, Harmony Slater. Hi, welcome. I'm so happy you're listening today. I'm Harmony and you're listening here to the Finding Harmony podcast. I got a question for you. Have you ever wondered why it is that when you finish your yoga practice or your mindfulness practice or conscious breathwork practice, maybe pranayama, that everything around you seems to feel more peaceful, more alive, more beautiful? Well, I have the answer for you. If you've ever wondered why, it's because these practices work to change how your brain is working. They literally change your brain waves. They also change the ability for you to increase oxygen, your oxygen uptake. And they also help you to open up your airways and your air passages. All of these practices naturally cultivate an inner sense of gratitude because they connect us to the present moment. And especially pranayama and breath work, they connect us directly to our breath, which means they're connecting us directly to the source of all of life. And so this is why I love the pranayama and the breath work practices, because as we breathe, there's no place we can be. We can't be in the future and be paying attention to our breath. We can't be imagining the past and be paying attention to our breath, right? So every time we're breathing, it brings us directly into the now, directly into the present moment. And there's power in the present moment. There's also love and healing open to us in the present moment. And so when we're practicing pranayama or conscious breathing, it works to open up the areas of our brains that are connected to our perception, which also gives us a greater, more expansive sense of time, and it allows us to see reality from a different perspective. And so changing the way we breathe changes our brains, changes how we see the world, which changes how we interact or show up in the world, which really changes our lives. So for me, this is the most powerful practice that you can take up and you can take on is a conscious breathwork practice or pranayama, as we say in India, prana meaning life, ayama meaning the expansion or to lengthen, literally lengthening your breath, expanding your breath, expands your energy, and it also lengthens your life force, gives you more life force. There was one study done using uh, cognitive tests and uh, EEG readings that when you practice mindfulness breath awareness, so that's not even a particular pranayama practice, that's just keeping the attention focused on your breath for 17 minutes for five days a week. The science showed improved impulse control and also uh, an improved ability for the brain to have metacognition. And metacognition is so important because this is our awareness. And awareness is the key to all spiritual practice, all human potential, and all of our personal development. So mindfulness training or conscious breath awareness 
was one of the only brain training tools that consistently worked to strengthen attention and awareness across all studies. And this comes from the book Peak Mind, that quote. Um, You can look it up. So if you would like to learn how to consciously breathe, I would love for you to come and join me in my free breathwork masterclass. It's happening this weekend, November 3rd on Friday and November 4th on Saturday. There will be a replay if you sign up. Um, We are going to do three breathwork practices that will help you feel calm in 30 seconds, literally changing your nervous system, stimulating your vagus nerve to help you switch more easily into that parasympathetic response, into that resting and neutral response. Uh, It's going to increase your energy and also create laser, laser sharp focus. I cannot wait to share this class with you. Uh, Learn how to help yourself, your kids, your clients, and students reduce anxiety, find their center, and feel grounded in just minutes. It's a really, really powerful class, and it's free, so sign up. There's those two dates to choose from, and if you at all are struggling with feelings of anxiety, or maybe your sleep quality isn't great, maybe you're waking up, or you're Um, can't fall asleep easily or you wake up feeling tired still this is a great class to help you improve your quality of sleep I'm going to give you so many tips and also immediately reduce that anxiety and help you balance the two sides of your brain so that you can have that laser sharp focus and we're going to do this all in just a few minutes it's going to be part teaching part practice part question and answers and coaching and you will learn how just 10 minutes of breathing can really really change and shift your life so you don't need to be an advanced yoga practitioner or some um, you know advanced pranayama practitioner to tap into a greater sense of calm and peace or feel connected and whole and a greater sense of well-being throughout your day. You don't have to be able to do advanced asanas to start to develop a more balanced nervous system. And you don't have to know how to do a breathwork practice at all. That's what I'm going to teach you inside my masterclass. So if you are excited about breathing and breathwork and pranayama like I am, You are absolutely going to love our conversation today. Our conversation is with Nick Heath, and he is known to many, maybe known to you, as the breathing diabetic. And he is a wonderful human being. He is so nice. He's a science writer who makes breathing science simple for better physical mental and spiritual health he has a great newsletter and uh, he has a phd in atmospheric science and has been published in many major scientific journals and actually was the recipient of the nasa fellowship Um, he's has this incredible ability to talk about the benefits of breath work and conscious breathing in a way that's really down to earth, really grounded, and that anyone can understand and learn from. 
He was diagnosed at 11 years old with type 1 diabetes and struggled to get it under control until he was about 25 when he really had a moment of recognizing this uh, could be helped and dove into reading and researching, he started eating better and exercising regularly, which uh, all of a sudden he realized, oh my gosh, I can control my blood sugars by diet and breathing and exercise. He found Wim Hof and dove into the Wim Hof practice, which many of you know, and there's something wonderful about Wim Hof, his charisma, his energy, and um, the science. It's maybe one of the most researched breathwork um, practices as far as scientific breathwork uh, is looked at. But then he started to study with Patrick McCohen. Patrick McCohen um, is the founder of the Oxygen Advantage. And he became an Oxygen Advantage instructor, an advanced instructor, and started teaching this breathwork practice to others. Um, it's really the most effective tool that we have that we can use to improve every aspect of our lives. And it's free, right? It's not costing us any money. We don't need any special supplies or special clothes. We just really need to sit down and create a little time to focus on our breath every day. So I know you're going to love this conversation and we're really looking at how to breathe is to connect to our spiritual center. We're going to talk about the science and how a conscious breathwork practice will help you from a physiological standpoint, but also how it really helps us to balance our mind, our body, our energy. And if you do nothing other than pay attention to your breath today, for a few more seconds longer than you did yesterday, you are on your way. You are starting to make progress in this conscious breathing practice. But if you'd like to um, fast track your results and really, really understand the pranayama practices as taught from India, the ones that are written about and described in the Hatha Pratipika, uh, I would encourage you to sign up for my free breathwork masterclass. It is called Breathe Your Way to Success, Three Breathwork Practices to Regulate Your Nervous System. And come join me live or catch the replay and really prioritize your mental and emotional health and stability as we finish off this year. You know, how wonderful would it feel to really have established a breathwork routine, a breathwork practice that you're doing regularly, that you feel confident in as you go through this year and finish off this year and start into your new year. So um, sign up now and come join me this weekend. Hi, welcome to the Finding Harmony podcast. I'm here today with Russell Case. Harmony. Hello. I, as you know, I just got back from Chicago. Yes. I, um, I drew, I drove out there mm -hmm. and it was very, it was a very long drive. Delivered through. a painting. I did. I, I went to visit the Mornar family in Racine, Wisconsin. I delivered a couple of paintings, helped them install it. I got a lovely visit. Yeah. 
with uh, Joey and Sarah and the, their beautiful, precocious girls, mm-hmm. Jane and Annabelle, had a lovely time. Mm-hmm. And, and I and I then I drove all the way back. Yeah. And as you know, I spent 48 hours behind the wheel of the car, all yeah. told there and back. A lot of weather. You encountered a lot of weather. <clears throat> did encounter a lot of weather events uh, uh, there and back. Um, and also, I listened to about 30 hours of Dan Carlin's uh, hardcore history podcast. There's a lot and, of podcasts out there that you could have chosen. And I took I took notes on the Celtic Holocaust for today's podcast. If you have any, <laughs> if there is any interest, I don't think we're going to be talking about the Celtic Holocaust. But, but I'm just saying, yeah. I'm ready. You're ready. If anyone, info. our guest today may have an interest in the Celtic Holocaust. I don't know. Not sure. Um, our guest is very interested in many things. <laughs> I actually had that on my topics to discuss. <laughs> right? <laughs> well, Whoa. our guest today is Nick Heath. Hello, Nick. Hi, Mr. Heath. The breathing Hi, diabetic. No relation to Ted Heath, the former prime minister of Great Britain. Because that's what not, I thought. Not that were, I know of. Because I thought you were British. I thought we were going to talk about your uncle, Ted. No. <laughs> And the Celtic Holocaust. And the Celtic Holocaust. And you were going to uh, opine on how England became um, Anglo-Saxon. No. We're we could talk- go there. Uh, <laughs> your your audience the, might tune out real quick. It's but. the Celtic Saxon tribes of Northern of Northern <laughs> Europe and Germany that, that created the conditions for England to suffer the Viking incursions later on in the ninth century. Okay. So I just think it's maybe... <laughs> Ted's uh, nephew here refocus, might be able refocus. Refocus. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so actually, yeah. it turns no. out you're from Florida. That's right. Yeah, born and raised my whole life. Your wow. people came from Scandinavia to Florida directly, or did they <laughs> come uh, I'm from not New sure. York? I'm not sure. Your parents settled Florida. Is that what you said? Yes. They. Yep. They discovered it. They. There's <laughs> that first wave of immigrants with air conditioners on their back, and and they and they settled in Satellite City, uh, Satellite Beach, Florida, and they just kind of made their home there. Yeah. Wow. I actually I mean, grew up in Jacks, or just outside of Jacksonville. Uh, Jacksonville. Florida. You're. A, you must be a Jaguar man. Are you I'm a Jaguar man? You're going to be blown away. I'm a Rams fan because my what dad the... loved the Rams growing oh. up. And so I love the Rams. And yeah. uh, so I'm a Rams football. Uh, I'm actually a Lakers basketball fan, which is another long story. So I'm actually an <laughs> L.A. person, apparently. But uh, Yeah. <laughs> but, so your father's from St. Louis originally. His family's from St. Louis, Missouri. No. When they were no, the St. We were Louis actually, Rams. We were fans of them in, when they were in L.A. Then they went to... St. Louis, and then they went back to LA. Yeah, back to LA. Yeah. Wow. See, I do think that maybe you have a future in Hollywood. You've got this leading man looks. <laughs> You're so beautiful. I can't that's stop my, looking that's my, at you. That's my plan after this. <laughs> I have it written down. LA. Maybe it's about going to LA and doing uh doing breathing classes on television for the mass populace. Oh. That does I could get behind. Does right? he do that? Yeah, so that's what we're going to talk about today. Not the weather, 
not meteorology, which we could are, talk about. You are a master at meteorology. <laughs> kind of has to do with the weather, breathing. We need we need good air to, quality to have good breathing quality. So tell us about your childhood. <laughs> Let's get into that. You you developed you developed a type two diabetes. Type not one to be confused. diabetes. Type two. No. Type one. Type, type one. one. Oh, type autoimmune. One yeah, yeah. Autoimmune. Yeah. You had the disorder, the childhood. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I got it when I was eleven. That's yeah. not fixable, is it? No. Not yet. Oh. You oh, know I'm what sorry. I heard about, and I would love to talk to you his, about this. I thought his breathing fixed the diabetes. No, it's not fixable. <laughs> exactly. Oh. It is. It is. Um. It's manageable. Of course, yeah. You, yeah. Can, you can live with it, right? And we, yeah. A lot of us do. Millions of us do, but yeah. But I thought, so you have so much, you have so much vast knowledge on the science of, of breathing and, and oxygen and all the things and, and also how it affects your health and diabetes. And this is like a real big passion of yours. But I heard this, read this thing the other day that was really interesting to me talking about... Um, how they're noticing adults adults who have autoimmune issues developing type 1 diabetes later in life and it being mistaken for type 2 diabetes but it's actually type 1 diabetes have you read yes. anything about that yes i i'm going to mispronounce the acronym but it's l a d a lada um latent uh autoimmune diabetes in adults, I believe is what it yeah, stands something, for. Yeah, something, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's definitely increasing. I don't know much about it uh, other than, you know, it's been on the rise and and I do interact with people. They'll send me, because I'm the breathing diabetic, you know, I talk yeah. a lot about diet, or I used yeah. to talk a lot about diabetes especially, but they'll send me like, hey, I just got diagnosed, I have LADA. And so I've gotten yeah. several of those emails and it is interesting to see like an, an uptick in it. But it's unfortunate they get misdiagnosed and it just causes, you know, more emotional distress and all these things you have to go through with yeah. first. Oh, it's type two. No, wait, you're going to need to take insulin the rest of your life. There's no, oh. you know, things like that. So yeah. it can be pretty, may, maybe even more damaging than just type one, you know, out the get go. So, yeah, because when you're a child and, you know, it's it's noticed that you have diabetes, typically you're. I mean, unless it's type two diabetes, which is unfortunate, but you know, you're a healthy kid, you know, out there in the world, just being a kid and then, you know, struggling with, you know, insulin and, and blood sugar issues. And, and so it's obvious that it's type one. And so then right away, it's like, this isn't your fault. It's not like your lifestyle. It's not, you know, you need to exercise more or something like that. And so it, it feels a little less personal, maybe, than yeah, exactly. later yeah. on and in life when, you know, people are like, oh, you need to change your diet, you need to exercise more, and you're trying to do all the things, and still, you know, you're having these these issues, and it's not really also your fault. Yeah, and, and another interesting part about, yeah, it, exactly, it's not also your fault then either, right? There's so many genetics and all these things, but... As like a kid, though, it is nice. I mean, that's not nice. I should never say that. But like, I don't really remember life without diabetes. So it's kind of nice that to me, it's just life. Like it's not, 
I don't sit around and remember the days or, you know, oh, right. I, I, you know, I just like, it's just how, you know, it could be a lot worse, whatever. I got to do what I got to do. Yeah. How did you know that something was, did you ever, I mean, well, yeah, that, that you just answered the question, but how did it transpire that you, that your parents found out and that you then had to be treated for diabetes? Yeah, I mean, I, I got really sick. So I was basically in, I guess, ketoacidosis, which means, yeah. you know, my blood sugar is super high, but I can't, I don't have any insulin. So right. I have ketones being released. And so my blood just became super toxic. And I got what seemed like a flu, right? I was just vomiting all the time, was super sick. I was always thirsty, just, and, and eventually I started throwing up blood. And when my dad saw that, he came in my room and saw it and said, let's go to the hospital. You know, we got to go now. Yeah. And I got there and they said, you know, good thing you did. You could have died. He, my blood sugar was like in the seven hundreds or something. Wow. Apparently. I don't oh, remember that part, but how old were uh, you? 11. Yeah. 11. 11. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, it was like, but it was like that. I was so upset. I was so thirsty. Like you were always thirsty. And so like I was the first thing they asked, like, oh, you you know, you have diabetes. And then the first thing I asked was, well, can I have a Diet Coke, please? Like, I just wanted a soda so bad. Yeah. I was like, I'll just take diet soda, whatever it takes. Uh, oh my gosh. So that's how, how bad I was down the, the rabbit hole. Oh. Did you did you yeah. did you feel that uh, your diet was was sort of out of whack at that time or just a normal my diet? Yeah, yeah I mean, just a normal course, kid. It was great. I was a normal kid. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. It's not like we knew nothing. We, you know, you just ate what you, what was yeah. there. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I especially then at age eleven, I was just you know I'm a pick. I was always a picky eater, so I was my my poor mom had to deal with like if like a you know a dot of ketchup touched my French fries, I would throw them away because it was so gross. Like I was just real picky, OCD yeah. about what I ate. So just very plain person. Um, Anyways, that's yeah. Was it sugar sensitive? Like, because I mean, I would think ketchup is like, oh, it, I don't want sugar no, in my no, food. Not that. Was anything no, like that? No, no, it's just I, I was always weird. <laughs> I guess I don't <laughs> know if I have a good a good answer, but right. Uh, but like, no, I mean, I was never too into sweets, really. But it is interesting. Like now, I don't really have like a sweet tooth. I don't know if it's because of diabetes that steered me away or what. But like. I just don't really look forward to desserts or like candy or anything like that. Um, and I don't know if that has anything to do with diabetes or not, because, you know, I could obviously still eat it and take insulin and things like that, but I just have no desire, which is kind of good. It's interesting though. Cause I don't eat really sugar either, like barely ever. And I never crave sugar. I never, I don't want it. I don't miss it. It's not like, so I think it's like, if you just don't eat it, then your body doesn't really crave it you know it's like one mm-hmm. of those sugar is one of those things you know that's that's um yeah i mean i guess everything's like that with our bodies i mean you would know <laughs> probably with all the research you do well but the more the more we take of something right our body starts to like want that thing or crave that thing yeah exactly and i can't imagine that as an 11 year old you started um looking up pranayama and breathing <laughs> exercises what how did no. you, how was your daily life at that point like going to school and managing your yeah, condition I mean, it, was, it was i guess probably scary for my parents right they you know you don't know what's going on with the kid and their blood sugars could go low or high but 
for me, it was just like, well, I'm a kid. I just need to keep doing, I was real. I mean, I was obsessive with skateboarding. So like my entire childhood was just skateboarding, which probably saved my life. Cause it like, I didn't do drugs. I didn't do anything. Yeah. I mean, I literally all I did was wake up and think about skateboarding all day, every day. Um, so it was really nice. Yeah. It's like a great outlet for me. And then that turned into surfing later in life. But, um, but really, I mean, I would just, I, I had to bring a little cooler with snacks, like sugar, extra sugar in case my blood sugar got low. Um, had to bring my insulin. I had to go to the clinic to test my blood sugar during the day and things like that. Um, you know, it was, it was, it was definitely made me a little different or whatever, but I didn't, I never really like, I never got too hung up on it, to be honest. Like, I don't know if, you know, my parents, if anything, they gave me more freedom because they didn't want me to think diabetes right. was holding me back, you know? So oh, like, right. I think it kind of made my older brother mad because I got to do things, you know, at a way younger age than he ever yeah, did. Like, yeah. you know, yeah. okay, yeah, you can go on with them. You can do this, even though like he, at my age, he couldn't do that. But, uh, nice. but yeah, so it was, it was an adjust, a huge adjustment, but like, I, I never thought like, oh, my life sucks. Like I'm, I just kind of thought like, it's what I have to do. I did you know, I was too young to really understand what was going on, I think. Yeah. You just like get on with it and manage yeah. and have certain yeah. things that you do regularly and it becomes a part of your routine. Yeah, were, indeed. were you giving yourself shots and, and taking yeah. blood like at school and that sort of thing? Yeah. All of that. Yeah. Okay. I, and when I started high school was right when uh, insulin pumps became popular or like more, I guess more accessible is probably the right word. I know they had been around, but that's when they first became like you can get it. Just go to your endocrinologist, speak with them, and, and they'll get you a pump. And so when I started high school, I, I had an insulin pump, which was a lifesaver. I don't use one anymore. I'm kind of weird. I've gone like backwards on technology. I don't use any type of devices anymore, which some people would probably curse at me for. But I, I just it's a it's a lifestyle thing. Um, yeah. But in high school and college, having a pump was like the best thing ever because it gave me so much more freedom to not have to take shots all the time. I could just push right. a couple buttons and it would inject insulin. And that was nice. What's, what is it, what does it do? Like for those of us who don't know exactly like an insulin pump, is it embedded in your skin or is it, what do you do with uh, it? There's different types now, but um, so I, I don't know what the latest technology is, but when I was using them, it was essentially just a little tube with a very small catheter, probably like, you know, half an inch, not even that would be in your belly. Uh, you would okay. so you would inject it in your stomach and then it would with a needle you'd pull the needle out and it would just leave this really small plastic yeah. uh, catheter inside of your in in your fat area yeah. mm -hmm. and then it just drips insulin all day so you have a a pump with uh, an insulin cartridge and it would just drip insulin at us you you set up a rate with your doctor find the right balance and then anytime you ate you could just push a few buttons and it would inject more rather right. than wow. having to pull out a, a needle and take a shot. Um, but now I'm like, you know, I'm 36 now. I live it. I work from home. I I am like the most, I'm like, I try to live like a monk with my routine, like same thing every single day. So I can I can get away with way less flexibility. So I'm very fortunate in that, that stance that like I can take shots again because I know exactly when I'm going to eat. I know exactly what I'm going to eat basically almost every day. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. But in college and stuff. Yeah, so, in college or when you're younger. Yeah, I needed too. it then. Yeah. <laughs> you're like yeah. up late. <laughs> yeah, I'm doing whatever I want. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
you can see how it would be. Yeah, that's super nice to not have to um, be so rigid with your schedule and yeah. you can just like live life feeling like kind of normal, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, you feel that was like a one hiccup for me is like having the pump attached to me was weird because like mm. if someone sees the cord coming from your pocket, they might ask. I mean, I got to the point where I didn't care at all, right? It was, but it's just like a, yeah, it kind of makes you feel odd when you have this cord hooked into your stomach all, all the time you're walking around. But, but, uh, but yeah, it was such a lifesaver for me that I didn't care at all. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Did, does, did sleeping affect your, um, your, uh, insulin levels at all? Did you like ever pleasure. notice that, uh, yeah, that for sure. How you slept changed things? Of course. In, yeah. In what like, way? Well, there are a lot of ways, but like, you know, when you sleep well, your blood sugars are better usually, right? You have better insulin sensitivity, which is really nice. And, you know, back at that age, I didn't really make those connections exactly. Like, you know, I didn't really think like, oh, I slept well, I have insulin. I just was a kid. I just slept, I woke up, I did whatever. But now I can look back and see these like these patterns. But also diabetes creates a lot of sleep problems because like if your blood sugar gets low or your blood sugar gets high or, you know, your pump, if some malfunction happens or some sort of alert and then it wakes you up in the middle of the night because it's really important to fix it. Right. You need that. Um, I actually had a big issue. This is the primary reason me personally, I got off of a pump is that the little catheter inside sometimes gets an occlusion where it kinks a little, like just slightly and the insulin isn't being delivered more modern pumps detect that and they tell you, Hey, there's an occlusion. You need to, you need to change it. But back then it was not that sensitive. So there were so many nights I would wake up and my blood sugar would be like 350 or something crazy because I fell asleep. It got the occlusion. I rolled wrong and then I didn't get insulin all night. And so to me, just taking a, a long, long lasting insulin one day, once, once a day, that that prevents that from ever happening so oh, wow. I, I like that yeah wow. Long so, so like, but no, i was just thinking about different. college nights and and doing you know all-nighters and and wondering how that would affect your insulin levels and if it would throw it throw it off for sure yeah and i didn't make that connection like i wasn't good at being like oh i'm gonna party with my friends or i'm gonna stay up super late and and study or whatever it was like mm-hmm. i didn't I just was like, oh, my blood sugars stink again. You know, I need to, I don't know why my blood, like I kind of didn't ever make that connection until I became more introspective, started meditating, doing all this breathing stuff and realizing, oh, there's a connection between like, I don't know if I ever made the the direct connection, I should say. I don't know. I don't remember being in college and being like, I didn't sleep well. My blood sugars are going to be bad. It was more just like, oh, my blood sugars are bad again. And then it took some self-awareness and kind of learning on my side to start uh, taking control, taking better control of it. Well, I'm, I'm super interested in, in this of, you know, how different things in our, in our life and, and um, you know, our, our situations with our bodies, how they inform the kinds of choices that we make, professional choices, life choices that we make. And I'm, and I'm, you mentioned that you had started studying science and and meteorology, and I'm and that's I'm interested in the arc of the self discovery that you have. Do you think at any point that your 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 diabetic condition led you towards a particular 
path of inquiry that then yes, led you here. And I, I wonder if you could tell us how that developed for you. Yeah, there's like a, you know, everything is incremental, but there was one specific event and it was just a book. Um, and it's, uh, so my, my wife's stepfather, so my father and my stepfather-in-law, um, <laughs> he gave me a book. He heard a guy on a podcast talking about his son with diabetes and he changed the way he ate and his blood sugar got better. So he just, he left the book on my bed one day said, Hey, I was visiting. He's like, Hey, you might find this interesting. So I picked it up and I read through it and I got through like, you know, six pages and you, you got to realize like, I never read books. Like I thought I, d I didn't re like, really? Oh yeah. And you would, yeah, you know, now <laughs> Harmony knows like, all I do is read books, but like in college and all that, I did not read books. I, I read what I needed to do to get good grades. Like I was mm. obsessive about learning, but I didn't, I was never exposed to the fact that literally anything you could ever want in life is in a book somewhere. It's like, <laughs> the best, you know, I didn't under, it didn't click back then. Wow. Um, so now, yeah, I read, you know, the Celtic or so Holocaust, for example, <laughs> is widely written about. Um, and if you want to learn how to be a green screen meteorologist, you know, <laughs> There are the idiot's guide to green screen, green yes. screen meteorology. Is I wrote available. the book actually. That's yeah. so yeah. interesting. Just that like little point, because maybe people don't aren't familiar with your work and they, maybe they don't know you, but I'm every like week I'm like, how on earth does Nick read all these books so quickly and digest the material? Like you have a superpower when it mm. comes to reading and comprehension. I just love it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. But it's a, I mean, it gets back to what I said about skateboarding. It's like I have—I'm very—I get obsessive with things I enjoy, and now I just—I now I'm self-aware enough to know when it's good or bad, right? It's like, oh, right. learning, and and there's times when I'm like, oh, I'm I'm learning too much, Nick. Like you need to step back because you're becoming, you know, you're you're learning too many different things, and you need to just apply. Oh, you know, the the mm -hmm. the simple things, but yeah, um, assimilate. <laughs> Yeah, assimilate and but in any case, yeah, like that that book was like a, a definitely a, it was it was called the New Evolution Diet. Uh, it's oh. one of those paleo type books. Yeah, uh, you know nowadays I I I don't talk about diet ever because everyone's different. We all know there's flaws and different people and different styles, so I don't like to preach anything. But that it gave me like what's the word like agency like oh, I started eating these things. They were green. They're called vegetables. And like, <laughs> my blood sugar got better. It was like, yeah. oh my God. You know, I had never eaten a vegetable probably in my life. Like all I lived off of like subs and chips. And, yeah. and now I'm eating fruits and vegetables at every meal, you know? And it was yeah. just like, my blood sugars got better. And I, in that like lit a fire in me to learn. So that's when I became like a voracious, whatever. Yeah. I, I read a lot. I started reading yeah. books all the time. Cause I was like, if this is in this book, what else is in books? And it was <laughs> that's like amazing. 25 years old, 26 wow. or 25 to realize that. And, uh, yeah, I haven't looked back. So that was, yeah, that's how I got started. But, uh, the breathing and stuff's a little different, but that's how I got started on like my health journey, so to speak. Yeah. Okay. Wow. I have a little sidebar question about that before we go on to, to learning about, uh, I think the, the Wim Hof method that you, you, you started with. Um, my, I have a lot of diabetes in, in my family, type two diabetes with, um, uh, my, my, my own stepfather my mom, my brother both have, have developed, um, uh, diabetic conditions from, you know, pre-diabetic conditions. My brother went into a 
ketoacidosis coma at one point. And it really scared him and got him straight. And I think he, as he described, the biggest problem was, you know, smoking dope and then eating a bag of brownies at two in the morning. Like that was, that was really the, the key to his condition was, uh, you know, if he could just work on that, that had that habit. Um, but he, you know, he, he noticed that at one point, a couple of years ago, it was much more popular. My mom and I, and, and Harmony all kind of started looking at a keto diet for whatever reason. Although we were doing vegan keto, which vegan, not recommended, oh pretty much impossible. Vegan keto diet. And so like the idea is, is to put yourself into, I think, a, like a mild state of ketoacidosis. And, and my brother, and my brother, ketosis, yeah, a little that. different. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how to say it, but my brother's like, this is insane. This almost killed me. And you're putting yourself into ketosis on purpose. Nick can tell you all about the difference. Tell us all about the difference <laughs> and why this is not a good thing to do. Well, no, it's, it's, not, it's a little different. Yeah. yeah. Um, so with diabetes, ketoacidosis, you, the problem is that you don't produce insulin. So your blood sugar gets really high. You have all the sugar circulating in your system, but because you don't have insulin, it tells your body there's no sugar there because the cells aren't getting that sugar. And so what your body does is it starts using fat for energy and that produces ketones. And so right. they call it ketoacidosis because you have high, super high elevation of ketones and your blood sugar is super high. And it creates just this like toxic environment for everything. Right. Ketosis is basically when your blood sugar and insulin levels are very low. Um, like the natural response is to burn fat for fuel. Um, mm -hmm. as far as I know, again, I'm not a diet expert by any means, but, um, and so you're burning fat for fuel and that can be therapeutic in some cases for short-term use. Um, some people love it long-term. I've tried everything under the sun. I, you know, I, I, it wasn't sustainable for me. Maybe, you know, of course people will tell you, oh, you just didn't do it right or whatever it is. But, um, but for me, it wasn't sustainable, but I did. Yeah. yeah you wow. can definitely get decent control of your blood sugars. But it might be, yeah, I, yeah. I won't go. I won't talk about it because I don't know enough about it. But I don't. I don't do that for myself personally. We we tried it too, and I think in in the short term it was it was helpful, maybe interesting. Um, but I also agree it was very difficult to sustain as yeah. like a lifestyle, and, and maybe feel, some people are better at it than others. Yeah, I don't know. Feel but crazy all the time. <laughs> a little bit yeah it does kind of put you in a bit of a, a manic state at times i think but yeah it's interesting okay so t yeah. tell us how then so you started reading all these books you started on this health journey you're experimenting with different diets and um you know sort of monitoring your you know how your body's responding to all these different things how did you get into breathing? How did you come across like breath work and breathing and realize that that was a could, huge key component? For how you? could that possibly affect your blood sugar? Right. That's that, yeah. that was the question I was trying to answer. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I found it through. So the first place I ever heard of controlled breathing was Mark Devine's book, uh, like The Way of the Seal or something. Uh, so this is a long time ago. Uh, my, my interests have gone, well, and I still actually, yeah, his book was really pivotal for 
he talked about box breathing and he said, Oh, Navy SEALs use box breathing. And I was like, okay, so it's okay. I, as a guy, I can do this. Stuff. You know, he gave me acceptance because <laughs> this is back before, before it was like, accept. like it didn't right. feel this, you yeah. know, any that case, was a really big book really, too, I think. Yeah, right? yeah, like it was yeah. a huge book where people, I think it was a lot of people's first introduction to breath work. Like, yeah. And yoga. He got me to go do yoga. I thought, Oh, wow. if he does yoga, I'll go do yoga. Right. And it was like, yeah, amazing. So I would do, I kind of only in the past year or so remembered that I was doing some box breathing every now and then. Uh, but I was, I had been into meditation. So I'd been practicing meditation and eventually someone, you know, it was like a Tim Ferriss podcast or something. And they had, uh, um, Wim Hof on. And I thought, you know, he is so charismatic mm -hmm. and just, Oh yeah, you can fix everything and just breathe mother effers and all this stuff. And yeah. I was like, this is my, this is my, my dude here. Right. So yeah. I, I became obsessed with the Wim Hof method and started doing it, but it was not for diabetes like at all. It was just like personal transformation, a little bit of spirituality, like what's the point of life? Why am I here? Things like that. And so I was doing the Wim Hof method pretty regularly. And that put me into the mindset that like the breath is powerful. So I, mm -hmm. that kind of laid the foundation. And I always say now, because I don't practice it anymore, but I always say like the Wim Hof method's like the gateway drug into yeah. breathing because you, you learn immediately that it can change your physiology, your mind, all these different things, how many pushups you can do or whatever, you know, whatever gets you uh, excited about breathing. But then I heard Patrick McEwen uh, later on, and he, he talks about a more kind of it, it more like, you know, he talks science. He, he, he kind of resonated with me. So, you mm -hmm. know, you breathe through your nose and there's nitric oxide and resistance and more oxygen uptake. And he's talking about this thing called the Bohr effect and carbon dioxide. And it just like ignited the nerd in me to, to try it. Um, and he, and he talked about mouth tape, like, oh, tape your mouth at night, you'll sleep better. And so I was at a point in my life where I was like, yeah, just things weren't clicking health wise. So I was like, I'm going to try this mouth stuff tonight. Like I went to the Walgreens right down the street, picked it up, slept great. Like yeah. if it hadn't been for that first night or the kind of first three or four nights, like who knows if I would have been this obsessed, but it was like, I went from always tired, napping, just never feeling like I have energy to like, boom, through the roof, like reading papers at work, like, oh, I got to put, oh, they could do this. And like, just my mind felt so clear and focused. Wow. And I thought it's just because I was sleeping better, right? And not mouth breathing at night. And so yeah, over time, it improved my blood sugars, I started trying other things. And I, I found my blood sugars were better. And thought, oh, holy, yeah, like, holy shit, right? I need to share this with people like this yeah. is crazy. Like, there's you just breathe and there I found oh there's a paper published in nature scientific reports about breathing for diabetes here's another paper published over here and about breathing and diabetes and how relaxation techniques and I thought how has no one talked about this and so I just started sharing it and it snowballed into five years of of research and work yeah one wow. of the things that I do is I'll roll onto my left side <laughs> okay and I'll hold Harmony's mouth closed Good for you. And, that, and that's how she maintains nasal breathing at night. Because otherwise, it's kind of it's kind of loud in the in the in the house. 
and I find it difficult to sleep. I got the... She sleeps much better. Uh, I don't know. I got the hostage tape, though. You used it oh, one night. I've used it a couple of nights. You should really use it every night. Maybe I should. You Is really it... should. Because you I've really... heard good things of that one, but oh, I've never man. used it. Um, oh, she yeah, sleeps keep... terribly. It, it, it's on there. It doesn't come off easily. <laughs> there you go. Oh, man. And I just like... You got to peel it off in the morning. <laughs> and I can't imagine how anyone could could wake up from the way that Harmony sleeps and feel rested. Because it is, it is like someone is strangling her slowly to death every night. And she is, you know, in, in like... That's because you are strangling me. Oh, man. She's just like crawling <laughs> through the, the shit in Vietnam trying to escape. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, baby... You need help. You need to get someone on the show that can help you with your breathing. And then we called Nick. Because yeah. <sighs> you got the, you're sugar sensitive. You don't sleep. You're tired. I have autoimmune like, disorder. You have an autoimmune it's disorder all, now. All there. <laughs> Who oh, could possibly help you with this? Nick. I don't know. Oh, it's terrible. I sleep great. Good for you. I love sleeping. And I... Man, solid eight and a half hours every night, fall right to sleep. Yeah, he's a miracle of nature. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's y'all compliment each other. Nice. <laughs> but when do you think it was? Is it the diabetes that was not allowing you to sleep properly, or was it just like the mouth breathing, or have you figured out what, like, well, why, I think why it changed so significantly? I think I'd become like a, and and I hate to even talk about this because it's not what Wim Hof suggests. Like Wim Hof is actually pretty modest in his suggestions for how the crazy things he does. But I had become a habitual mouth breather because I thought, oh, I need to breathe like this all the time. Uh... You know, I thought, oh, I didn't, I never heard mouth versus nose, anything. So, you know, I was always breathing through my mouth, which we know now like activates the sympathetic nervous system, chronic stress less oxygenation to your brain to your tissues and things and then yeah i was that was translating for sure tonight i was for sure like you know breathing with my mouth open and so when i switched to nasal it was like yeah uh, mm. heaven's gates opened it was this like miraculous and now it's like you know i don't feel that i mean i feel i always feel good but like that you know that was a really significant night and day yeah mind-blowing shift that like yeah it was didn't make any sense to me wow yeah and then and then how did that lead into you I think then you went into becoming like a breathing instructor or doing some more in-depth breath work training can you tell us a little bit about that yeah I I ended up going uh so I started uh, practicing the things Patrick was promoting through the oxygen advantage. So I was doing Mm -hmm. like the lighter breathing, nasal breathing, some walking breath holds. And on my own, I was doing slow breathing, like things I I teach now, right? Like six breaths a minute um, and just relaxed for relaxation. And I was so obsessed. I was like, I'm going to, Patrick was coming to the United States. I was in Florida. He was coming to Portland. So the exact opposite side (laughs) of the country. But I said I got, I want to become an instructor, not to teach people. I just wanted to learn from him. Like I just was like, Oh, I can't wait to learn from Patrick. So yeah, I flew out there. Um, this was in March of 2018. So it's been a little over five years now. Um, and became an oxygen advantage instructor. 
and that was really, again, just for my own nerdiness, but I did start teaching every now and then, but it was really like, that was a catalyst for me to keep, just keep going. Like Patrick was interested in the research I was sharing with him. Like, I was like, Hey, I found this paper. Like when I was there, you know, right when I got back to the, the Airbnb the first night, cause he had asked me like, why are you here? I actually lied on my intake form because they basically said, if you have type one diabetes, you shouldn't come because there's <gasps> in, in all fairness, yeah. like he, he didn't like, you know, he was just trying to be protected. He didn't really yeah. can drop your blood sugar fast. So they were kind of like, I just left it off. Let's say that yeah. I just yeah. Oh, yeah. strategically like, omitted it. It doesn't yeah. matter. <laughs> yeah. But once I was would, there, I told him. But just to say that if you had died, then the liability is yours and not his. And that's what's exactly. Most yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got your priorities straight, Russell. <laughs> yeah, that's oh, right. <laughs> but I told him, you know, during the, you know, you go around the room, introduce yourself. And I said, oh, I have type one diabetes. And I could see him and the, the other instructor's eyes kind of like widen. And I was like, and this method's changed my life and I just want to learn it more. And so he talked with me a little extra, like, oh, you got to be careful and things. So that night I sent him an email with like a bunch of papers and like, I was like, here's all the, and I had like a one sentence summary of each one. I was like, you probably won't have time to read it, but blah, blah, you know. That's awesome. And he was like, oh, this is really neat. Yeah. And so it gave me like that validation sort of. Yeah. You know? yeah. Like, oh, what you're doing is cool. So. What was what what is it that could like drop the blood sugar that they were concerned about? The, it's really the breath holds. So when you put yourself okay. uh, into uh, a mild hypoxia, like you drop your blood oxygen saturation, it can in some people lower blood sugar. Um, in others, it can raise your blood sugar uh, right. just because it's a stressor. So it's just kind of this fine line, different different responses. So he they just wanted to be safe. Uh, also, when you do the, the slow breathing or I, at that time, just reduced breathing. So you increase your carbon dioxide levels. That's going to improve blood flow and oxygen delivery. And for some people that can uh, can help with insulin sensitivity, which may lower your blood sugar. That's a longer transition, but they were mainly worried about like a diabetic, I think, passing out or, or something mm -hmm. like that. But, yeah. Yeah. And, and again, like I'm very, uh, yeah, I try to be empathetic to that because I could see how that's like also pretty, you know, I could see someone big, like, well, that's not fair, but I don't know. I think he just, he didn't want to hurt anyone. That was his whole yeah. intention. Yeah. I just yeah. don't want anyone to get hurt doing these breathing techniques. So like if you have type one diabetes, maybe you shouldn't, you know, I think he was just trying to be, yeah. be respectful. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, and you don't know how, um, maybe how, uh, control, like in control and aware people are. Exactly. Yeah. I'm curious though, you, you mentioned like how, um, the slow breathing or the breath holds, you know, could, uh, increase your oxygen, um, uptake in your cells through the blood because of the holding of the carbon dioxide. There's like better exchange happening. Um, between the blood and the cells and, and that transference of oxygen and how over time that might help to regulate insulin levels or blood sugar. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Is it like a cumulative effect or what's some of the research that you've, you've read or from your own experience? So yeah, there's, there's lots of things going on uh, that could potentially like with the slower breathing techniques and with CO2 even um, that could potentially help people with diabetes. So it's not like a, 
it's not usually one thing. It's like a culmination of like several, like for the big one, uh, from my experience is just the relaxation response. So when you put your body, when you do like these slow breathing techniques, your body's parasympathetic rest and digest system activates and that relaxes you. Um, people with diabetes are under a lot more, like there's the emotional stress of having diabetes, but then there's just like the physiological stress of blood sugar shifting up and down. And so we have higher, or let's say how to, how to wear this. So when they measure our nervous system, we're usually leaning toward the more stress side, um, just because of our diabetes. And this shows up in, in measurements like heart rate variability. And there's one called baroreflex sensitivity. And basically across studies, it always turns out that people with diabetes rank lower on those scales. And so when you do these slow breathing, it helps to reverse that. It like uh, both acutely, so in the in the moment, you you ramp up your heart rate variability, you can increase your baroreflex sensitivity. You're basically restoring more activity to the parasympathetic nervous system, and you feel good. It just relaxes you. You feel mm. calm and happy, and that that can over time accumulate into a more stable nervous system. And a more stable nervous system means less emotionally reactive less cortisol, less stress hormones, and that's going to help with blood sugar regulation. Uh, so that's one way with time that it can be really helpful. The, the second one is what we've been talking about, like sleep. Like if you learn to put your body into a more parasympathetic state, you sleep a little bit better, you use some mouth tape if it helps, not not everyone, some people, right? Uh, no, no religion here. Just try it and see if it works for you. Um, better sleep better insulin sensitivity. That's like really, really well established now that sleep has a direct relationship to insulin sensitivity. And then the rest, there's like so many neat nerdy things that we could spend hours. Like one, just as a real simple one is breathing through your nose. Like your nose does a lot of things to help make sure oxygen gets into your blood and into your tissues. So like actually get to where it needs to go. And so when you breathe through your nose consistently, you're increasing the oxygen levels at your, at your cells. And this is a primary complication of diabetes is that through all of the inflammation and all the, the, uh, basically bad things going on because of the high blood sugar, we get a buildup of reactive oxygen species and it ends up, um, causing tissue hypoxia. So our cells don't get enough oxygen and it's not like breathing through your nose just reverses it and you're good to go. Life's perfect. Right. But if it helps in any way, it's going to be beneficial. And so like for me, I didn't measure that. I don't know exactly what my tissue oxygen levels were, but I could feel so much better from just breathing through my nose. And so I, I know intuitively that that definitely plays a role with diabetes that helping or partial reversal of that tissue hypoxia is playing a huge role in insulin sensitivity, inflammation, and all these different things that, that, are chronically putting us into a stress state and chronically causing insulin resistance. Can, can you, can you say again, what exactly is happening when you're breathing through your nose versus your mouth? Can, can you go over that one more time with us? Yeah, sure. Yeah. I didn't. Yeah. I kind of just <laughs> glossed over it, but no, no, I, it's, it's so fascinating though. And especially for our listeners who all, you know, they're all practicing yoga and they're all, you know, being encouraged to, to do a no nostril breathing. They're also being encouraged to do, chest breathing versus belly breathing and then vice versa. And so I think it'd be fascinating for our listeners to understand, you know, what's happening with those different things. Sure. Yeah. 
with with the nose in particular, there's lots of interesting things it does. Some of the 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 I guess primary ones are like the warming and the humidifying of the air. So it's kind of acting like an air conditioner so that when it gets into your lungs, it's the right temperature, it's the right moisture content so that oh. oxygen exchange can occur. So I call it an air conditioner just because that seems to be a word people <laughs> get, but it's just, yeah, it's getting you ready. There's also- Or a oh, humidifier. Ahead, yeah, humidifier. <laughs> um, go ahead. In a, close, in a close relationship to your family history, having brought the air conditioner to Florida, <laughs> I can understand yeah, exactly, why you would right? relate that way. And, and a filter I mean, the too, right? Filter, yep, it filters. So yeah. we have like all these uh, little hairs, right? You could see your nose hairs yeah. and the, the cilia lining the airways. And then we have inside your nose, there's these like conch-like structures, these turbinates that are all swirly, uh, bony structures that help particles stick to the side of them so that they don't, it, it creates turbulence, which allows air to bounce up against the side of, the, of your your nasal passages and can stick some of the bigger particles there. And so it's, and then the biggest one though is, is nitric oxide. So um, our paranasal sinuses create nitric oxide continuously and they release it into our nasal airway. So when you breathe through your nose, you actually carry nitric oxide down into your lungs. And so it does many things. One is that it sterilizes. So it actually helps to filter the air. So it like it can neutralize viruses and bacteria and it's antifungal and all these, these or antimicrobial and all these different things. Um, so that's really crazy. And then once wow. it gets into your lungs, it's a, it's a vasodilator. So nitric oxide, it, basically why you, why athletes eat beets, you know, or beet <laughs> juice is because yeah. it high in nitric oxide, it opens up the blood vessels and this improves blood flow in the lungs. And this is really well established, kind of increasing the blood flow in the lungs means more oxygen exchange, more better exchange in the lungs, and you're going to get more oxygen in, and that's going to help downstream with getting more oxygen to your body. So um, lots of things going on. It, it also slows down your breathing naturally. It's a smaller hole, right? So it, like, it actually mm -hmm. slows your breathing down, which is, is more relaxing. So it more naturally activates the calming side of your nervous system versus mouth breathing, which is going to naturally be faster. Of course you can slow down your mouth breathing. You know, you can consciously do it, but in general, if you're not paying attention, the oh. mouth breathing will be a little faster. And that's why using the tongue and pranayama is so effective because it slows down breathing through your mouth. Mm. When you oh, yeah, yeah, roll your yeah. tongue and then breathe in, you're using a smaller. Oh, like shitali. Yeah, 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 shitali. Yeah, you're bringing. It also you're... is cooling. It's cooling. Yeah, that's cool. so fascinating. And that's wow. a, the, the cooling is a good thing to mention because, like, when we say like, oh, the nose warms and humidifies, like, so does the mouth. Like, the, if you breathe through your mouth, your mouth gets dry, right? It's taking that yeah. moisture. It's taking that heat. So it does warm and humidify the air, pretty much the same. But it's the chronic thing. Yeah. You don't ever get a dry nose, right? You don't wake up with a dry nose because you've been breathing through it all night. You wake up with a dry mouth, right? Yeah. Because your yeah. mouth isn't meant to have the airflow constantly, whereas the nose is perfectly designed to mm -hmm. always be breathed through. Um, mm -hmm. You can't close your nose, right? You can't just be like, mm, I'm going to close my nose and breathe through my mouth. Like, But you can close your mouth anytime you want, right? So it's yeah. like your nose is always there to be breathed through. It's like mm -hmm. meant to be the main source of air. The mouth is there when when necessary kind of when you're wow. jogging yeah I mean, no <laughs> when you're <running>. harmony 
when you're squinting full speed from a from a lion. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and and have you noticed? Have you read anything about uh, using the chest versus the belly to breathe? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's. So the the general concept is that when you breathe into your chest, you're breathing into an area that gets less blood flow. Um, so if you think the lungs are positioned vertically and gravity is going to help the blood sink more to the lower lobes of the lungs and the shape of the lungs too, they kind of get wider at the base. And so you have more blood flow and more surface area near the base, the bottom of the lungs than the top. And so when you breathe into your chest region more, you're emphasizing more airflow into the more upper portions of the lungs. And this is going to make gas exchange not quite as uh, robust as when you breathe more deeply uh, into the, you know, into your belly, so to speak. You're not actually breathing into your belly, right? It's you're seeing the sensations of the breath uh, apparent in the belly, but that's helping to draw the air deeper into your lungs where it can get better gas exchange um, and, and therefore be more efficient. So it's, it's basically about efficiency, whether it's like chest or, or, uh, belly, so to speak. Now, I don't know if there's actually been a study showing that like, Oh, let's, let's actually measure oxygenation somehow and have people chest breathe versus like belly breathe. But the, the argument is intuitively just makes sense. And then there's, um, there is like lots of research on belly breathing, uh, being beneficial in so many different ways that it's kind of a no brainer. Um, and it does other things with like brain with your brain. Let me just stop. Cause I'm going to get too excited. I'll stop there. <laughs> no, tell us about why. the brain. We're so excited about okay, the brain. But it really is a point of, a point of interest because you know, I, in almost every other yoga form that I've looked at the belly, the belly breath as, as shown to be, you know, incredibly beneficial to parasympathetic sensation and, and stimulation. And you are very relaxed. And yet in the, within the, the form of orthodox Ashtanga yoga that Harmony and I practiced, the emphasis was so much on constraining the belly and forcing breath deeply into the upper chest. But and the thinking was that, you know, you're increasing lung capacity. I disagree with that. I don't think that it's about... Do you disagree with the premise that that was the situation? Yes. That I that's don't... what we were told to yeah, do? Yeah, I don't think that's what we were told to do. Um, mm. I think that there's a difference between using Uddiyana Bandha, which is your lower belly, your pelvic floor area, and tightening or strengthening, pulling that in, engaging the just the lower belly, which is below the navel, which we were always told three fingers below the navel. Yeah. Um, so that lower abdominal area, pelvic floor area, when you're tightening that, what it actually allows you to do is breathe into the belly. You're not lifting up into the diaphragm area. It actually, when you engage the lower belly, it allows you to expand and breathe into the diaphragm more fully, which is this belly breath. When that part is relaxed, you actually cannot engage and breathe and use the diaphragm as much. So for me, I don't think it was ever about breathing into the chest versus the belly. I think when you engage bandhas, you're breathing into both. You're actually expanding your diaphragm more, but maintaining um, that strength of the pelvic floor, which does activate the vagus nerve, which allows your body to relax a little bit more. 
Anyway, yeah. we digress. No, the, but no, oh, the no. vagus nerve is when we're going to talk now about brain waves. <laughs> <laughs> well, we could talk about brain waves, sure. Uh, but when you breathe into your belly, how does that oh, affect your brain? That's oh yeah, what, we, we got to talk about that. Know, uh, yeah. And if people are interested, uh, you know, I, I post all this on Instagram, so you can see yes. like the actual studies, and they're pretty mm-hmm. pretty neat. But there was a study, I think it was like two years ago. I could don't quote me on that, but. Essentially, they had these people lay down and go in an MRI and breathe, and they were looking at the complete yogic breath. So they said, okay, one time you're going to breathe as deeply as you can into your belly. That's the first step. Then the second step is the ribs, and then the third step is the chest and clavicle kind of motion. But they did them individually. So it was like either one time you're just doing the belly breath, one time you're doing rib breath, and then the third time you're doing chest breathing. And then they measured cerebral spinal fluid flow so cerebral spinal fluid is this like clear cushion you know i guess you already know uh well i don't know there's a there's a kind of um there's a rate of cerebral spinal flow that they've been looking at and it's you know it's different from your heart rate it's different from your breath uh, it is very, it's a much slower rate, but that they were, you know, I, I've, I've seen studies that it can be that there was a rate to it in the first place and then that it could be affected by, by, you know, different activities. I, which is, and breathing is one for sure. Yeah. yeah. Cause basically, yeah. Cause they, it, it also like it clears waste from your brain. It brings nutrients and hormones to the brain. So it's really important for like brain health. And what they found is when you breathe into your belly, it increased. So I guess two things that are neat. First, as you inhale, the cerebral spinal fluid goes upward into your brain. And as you exhale, it goes downward back Mm. down your spine. So that's really neat. So it's kind of counterintuitive that it goes up as you bring the air down, the, the fluid goes up. And then as you breathe out and the air goes up, the fluid goes back down. Mm -hmm. Um, it's fine. And what they found is that during the belly breathing, the flow toward the brain increased by 28% on average. Wow. During the ribs, it was like 21 or 23. And then during the chest breathing, it was 16. And they said mm. the chest breathing was not statistically significant. So um, mm. for take for what that what that's worth. So essentially, yeah, they were showing that with just breathing deeply into your belly, you increase this cerebral spinal fluid flow, the CSF flow to your brain. Uh, which could be one reason why belly breathing is so relaxing and ben- or, or beneficial to our overall overall health. Wow. Uh, yeah, super. And then we came back to like intra-abdominal pressure. So sort of the stuff you were just talking about, Harmony, yeah. like when you activate the diaphragm, it pushes down into the the gut region, right? To all your, and it creates higher pressure on in that region. And that pressure squeezes the fluid upward and it like pushes it upward from, uh, and that could be an awful explanation. If there's any scientist, they might say, "Oh, he's an he's an idiot." But that was my interpretation no, of yeah. it. Uh, is that is that it? Like pushed yeah. it up. And I was so, gonna say. Uh, I was gonna say it must have something to do with that interabdominal pressure. Yeah. That it's yeah. it's you know activating a greater flow of that cerebral spinal fluid, which is really interesting when you think of like yoga and the metaphor of kundalini and awakening this psychosomatic energy and it flowing up the spine and how it's all related to breath and breath holds and different things right like there's some real science actually behind some of this more esoteric 
you know, metaphysical, mystical kind of yeah. explanations. <laughs> that's always the thing, right? Like you, you, when you don't have science, you use metaphors, right? It's like you don't understand like where rainbows come from. And you say, well, it's Noah's Ark. You know, you know, that was a promise from God. That's why we have rainbows. But once you understand light refraction, then you don't need those metaphors to describe it. But they're it's still the same nice way, to have. And so then, then with yoga, you have the same thing. Like people are describing metaphysical conditions, um, but it's it can you can get, you can reach an entirely different audience if you have a scientific explanation for why belly breathing works or nasal breathing works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it is interesting because, like, with specifically pranayama, I don't know much about like all of the different limbs of yoga and all these different uh so I, I can't speak to that but like when i look at pranayama it's like yeah everything is based our science backs up almost all their claims you know there's little discrepancies here and there i'm sure but like for people who are just being intuitive and listening to their bodies and like yeah they they had it nailed down amazingly and it's it's really like it's exactly what you just said like if you want to get to the right audience, you got to read a few papers and then explain it scientifically. Right. And that's really cool because it is really neat to learn like the difference between the left and right nostrils and like how powerful that can be. And like these subtle things that like yogis would knew there was these cycles in our nostrils and would be in tune with them and say, Oh, if, if I'm breathing through my left nostril, this is a time to be contemplative and, and actually, uh, you know, meditate or do something that's more focused. And if my right nostril is going, I need to clean and be active and uh, eat my food because my digestion will be heated. You know, so there's all these really neat things that they knew they just figured out. And we just, you know, do a couple studies to prove them. So yeah, it's nice. what's what's also fascinating, you know, with the right and the left and, you know, in yoga, it's the Ida and the Pingala or the Surya yeah. and the Chandra, the heating and the cooling and it's related to our sympathetic, our parasympathetic nervous system, just like you're explaining. One's more active, one's more more restful. And when you lie on your side, it actually opens up the opposite nostrils. So when you lie on your left side, it opens up your right nostril. When you lie on your right side, it opens up your left nostril and vice versa. So it's it's sort of interesting, right, that there's these ancient like ways to biohack your body to optimize digestion or optimize sleep. And even in... Um, you know, when I was in the Buddhist monasteries, they always said, oh, you should sleep on your right side. And again, sleeping on your right side opens up your left nostril, which is more your parasympathetic nervous system, you know, resting and digesting and sleeping. And um, and so it's it's really just a it's so interesting that that for like thousands and thousands of years, you know, these contemplative practices, yogis, monks, you know, have have tuned in to how to optimize all of these things. And now we have science, you know, scientific experiments and, and ways to measure it and, and observe it from a, like a more objective perspective, but that it is kind of proving, like you said, all of the um, sort of ancient explanations. Yeah. And I mean, if in, it's like, it makes common sense. It's like, if they've been doing this for thousands of years, like, it works. So whatever we find out about it, whatever explanation we come up with through science, like it doesn't matter really. Cause we could, you know, if it turned out it was because of X or Y or brain waves, yeah. it's like, you know, if it's been used for thousands of years, it clearly just works. So we, you know, uh, but it is really nice to have the objective evidence, like to show mm-hmm. why, so that people who maybe think it's all a bunch of quackery, you know? Yeah. Uh, so in any case, yeah, I've, I've gone like, 
full circle, like not, I guess not full circle, but like, I just accept, like, I'm so confident in like the yogic wisdom now, whereas like I used to be all in the science and stuff. And now I'm like, if they've been doing it for this many years, it's probably better than any scientific <laughs> paper we could ever write because nothing lasts that long unless it works right yeah. in the real world. So. Yeah. And it's so fascinating, like even measuring, they've, they've measured, uh, you know, the temperature of the air coming in and out of the nostrils and the right nostril actually does heat up the air slightly more than the left nostril, right? And the left nostril mm. cools the air more than the right nostril. And so it's, it's just really interesting that like, you know, these, these metaphors or these explanations of like the sun channel and the heating channel, and then the moon channel and the cooling channel it's actually the way that it is. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. I've never actually heard that one. I've, yeah. I mean, I've heard of it, but I've never seen the, the research. That's cool that they've yeah. actually measured it. So yeah. it doesn't surprise me. Yeah. I, I had, um, I cut my nose off when I was, when I was seven <laughs> and I find it really difficult to breathe in my left, my left nostril. It's like always, just always impacted and closed. And so I always, I've wondered like, that's why I'm as, as um, um, broken as I am. Well, yes, yes, Russell. <laughs> I have great news for you. No, but that's crazy to say that because you know Harmony just said, and you just said you sleep great, right? And so yogic yeah, wisdom would say you would need that left nostril open to really sleep good, right? You, that's oh, why we're really yeah. on our right side. Um, yeah. So, anyways, that's that's fascinating. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. I I am I'm really enjoying this conversation. I'm really enjoying meeting you. I didn't I didn't I didn't know you very well. I don't know how the two of you met. I'm interested in knowing that, but it's it's a bit like like I feel like I'm like I'm in an episode of like um the right stuff by the the novel by Tom Wolfe that was made into the movie with Sam Shepard and all those guys. And I'm know. sitting with an astronaut who's just <laughs> deeply passionate all-American and we're all we're all working towards a better future for tomorrow and i could see you like teaching like kids all over america the value of 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 good breathing with good science and i just i we should really we should really get him on well, the road well that's what nick does now is he it's teaches amazing. people how to breathe properly that's right. that's <laughs> not not all over the world or anything just basically from this room on zoom, but, uh, but I mean, yeah, we could, we could have Ed Harris play you in the movie, but I think you're a better looking Ed Harris. I, just, <laughs> Ed I don't know who Ed Harris he's, is. He's I'm much younger than Ed Harris. Well, That's why you don't know who he is. Oh, you're he's too old. young for Ed Harris. Oh no. I'm going to Google him while we're yeah, here. Right. Why not? He played an You've got a lot more. He played an astronaut in the right stuff. Oh, I and remember you've got him. a lot more hair, but in a better looking version like, of that hair. Forty years younger, and you do look a lot like him. Well, but no, wow. but so how Nick and I Amazing. met was I was taking. I'm well. I'm in your your what is it? The breathing four one one. for better. Oh, that yeah, that's the breathing my newsletter. for better tomorrow. Yeah, his newsletter. So if you haven't signed up for Nick's newsletter and this interests you at all, breathing and the science and also just like amazing inspirational quotes on breathing and spiritual practice and meditation and um people need to sign up for your newsletter because it's the my favorite part of the day oh awesome that's Thank exciting you. yeah the breathing 411 is what yeah. it is wow so, yeah, and then also 
you have a, a is that like beautiful... a breathing four twenty? No, it's it's. <laughs> I don't. You tell us what it is. I don't know. I'm just like it's a newsletter. I don't know. Breathe and four twenty. Four one one. No, that would be so much more fun. It, I'll tell you exactly what it is. It is a 100. So I started it like, well, I started the newsletter like five years ago. I started this version of it like three years ago. Yeah. And it is a 100,000% knockoff of uh, James Clear's 321 newsletter. Because I was like, oh, that's so convenient. It's so catchy. 321. And it's really simple to read. And so it was literally just like talking with my wife. I think while we were giving my daughter a bath and I was like, I just don't like how my newsletter, I was like, I don't enjoy writing it anymore. And I want something different. I don't, and we were coming up with numbers. She's like, Oh, four one one. How about that? I was like, perfect skateboarding. When I grew up skateboarding, four one one was like this really popular skate video. My birthday's four eleven. So I thought, oh. okay, one world breathing day is also on my birthday, four eleven. Wow. Uh, which is yeah. just a crazy coincidence, like meant sure. to be like, uh, Yeah. So, the, but the phone was the answer. number you dial for info. Exactly. <laughs> so, so it all you're coming to the to the breathing four one one right for information. Yeah. Uh, but it's like four thoughts, a quote, and an answer. So it's like four random like harmony was just saying like can be spiritual, it can be breathing science. It's usually like a quote from a really famous person and then me trying to act like I can add value to it, which I can't. You do like, add value like, to oh, it. It's lovely. This is how you can do this. And then a quote and then a Jeopardy question. Like oh. this is this refers to when your uh, diaphragm spasms and then it's like dot, dot, dot and you wait and then what are hiccups, you know? And yeah, so, what are hiccups? Yes, yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, you'd like the Jeopardy part. That's I do Russell's like a Jeopardy. Show. Oh, yeah, like that was Jeopardy my favorite part. show, too. Wow. <laughs> the best. And how could I sign up for the 411 newsletter? Well, all you need to do. <laughs> no, it's just... <laughs> It's very complicated. Let me tell you. Uh, it's just, I have a website, thebreathingdiabetic.com, and then mm-hmm. there's a little tab right there on the in the top that says newsletter. You can just okay. sign up there. And is there an Instagram that I could sign up for as well? The Breathing Diabetic on Instagram diabetic. as well. Let me get on that right yeah, now. Yeah, you need to get on it. Everyone should I get do, on it. I do share a lot on the insta- on the gram. You do, uh, and it's gram. always great. You're, uh, the IG. You're one of the few people in my favorites. So. Oh, well, thank you. Thank <laughs> you. I, um, I'm sorry you for also you. Ha- no, oh. you also have a course. Tell us about your course because I've taken it now twice. I don't know no, how many yeah, times you did you offer twice. it? Twice. Yeah, I've only twice? done it twice so far. Okay. But I yeah, you showed, Yeah, because you took the repeat, and I think you came to all the live ones too, huh? Or just I do. about? I do. Yeah, I think I missed that, one, yeah. but I've. But that was the second time. The first time I was there. I, for I now joined the the Instagram, so that's that's. Oh, there. thank you. Oh, I got see. One more oh, follower okay. today, mm. Nick. Yes. Let me see if I. I'll follow you back after this. Oh, you don't um, have to do that. No one does no, that anyway. Reciprocal. Um, Breathing. Oh, for the course though. Better mental and emotional health was the better title. Better mental and emotional health. Yeah. So that has been expanded just recently, like the past week or so. I, I made. Um, I basically took that. So the idea was just how can we use our breath for better mental and emotional health, and it's kind of relevant to everyone, right? So uh, that this is helpful, but I expanded into like an eight week program with that as the foundation, but it's focused now on like stressful life setbacks. So 
the whole reason I created the course was like, I had went through some, something in my life uh, that it was tough on me. And like, I was like trying to find solutions of my own. And this gave me like a way to heal myself, not like cure myself of anything, just like feel good again, like be back to normal, like, uh, yeah, be happy about life and excited. So I expanded it into like an eight week program based on overcoming life setbacks. So like Mm -hmm. anyone experienced like a super stressful life setback, injury, illness, things like that. It's a one-on-one program now, um, where I can take you through the three steps, uh, and then all the breathing that goes with them. And then I will keep offering the four week course. Eventually I just got to figure out the timing. Uh, but I hope to do that again very soon. Um, because it's, it would, it's obviously going to be cheaper and then it's, some people don't want to do eight weeks and don't want one-on-one. They want group coaching and stuff. So I'm just, yeah, keep trying that. I love the one-on-one thing. Cause I think that's one of the biggest obstacles. I mean, that I found is when you're stressed or like life has thrown you a lot of different things that are stressing you out and your, your nervous system's stuck a little bit in that, you know, sympathetic, um, you know, high, high, highly activated state. Mm. Uh, it's hard to even feel like you can make the time to, to breathe, Mm. even though we're breathing Mm -hmm. all the time, obviously, but, (laughs) but, (laughs) but I know what you meant. I know what you meant. Yes. (laughs) You just got to get that mouth tape, sweetie. No, but like, like to even like, you're like, okay, I know this will help me. I know that setting aside 15 minutes, 12 minutes, 17 minutes. And and we could maybe just talk about that really briefly is the optimum sort of time for, for Mm -hmm. breathe a breathwork practice to, to really like help to, um, reset your nervous system and to have those optimum results. But you're like, Hey, I know this will help me, but I like, uh, I don't have time. I don't, I, I can't, how do I fit this in? Right. And so one-on-one I think is really helpful because it kind of like, gives you that accountability. It gives you some structure and also it gives you like support where someone can really help walk you through it a little bit. Right. Because without the accountability, without the structure, you're just like, yeah, I'll do it tomorrow. And then (laughs) tomorrow never happens. And then you're never getting out of that hyper activated state. Like the stress response just keeps staying where it is rather than, than normalizing or coming back to a, a neutral place. Yeah, exactly. And that's my hope is like to, cause I've, I've done one-on-one coaching here and there, but I've never made it a formal thing for myself consistently. Mm-hmm. And I think that'll really be more helpful to people. Cause I, I love teaching. So I, I teach in any scenario. I love to like educate because I'm just so excited about it. As you can tell, I get real jazzed mm-hmm. up when I talk about breathing, but like, yeah, being able to, to have the accountability and stuff, I think will be really helpful to people and personalize it. Cause like mm-hmm. if you're going through, let's say an injury and someone else is going through like a divorce or something, like it's the same exact breath practices, but the meaning you give to them is what really gives it power. It's like mm-hmm. when you look at mindful breathing, just being aware of your breath uh, as like an acceptance of life, like you're accepting mm-hmm. the breath, you're not changing it, you're, you're accepting it. And when you frame it that way, and then you frame it, you know, for that person, like you have to accept this event that's occurring because that's the first step, right? And any yeah. kind of recovery is, is acceptance. So yeah, it just gives it a little bit more like personality to these simple, yeah. simple breathing exercises. Yeah, that's mm. beautiful. 
Okay, so tell everyone before we go, what is the optimum time? Because I found this really interesting. Okay. And I learned it from you um, for doing a breathwork practice. And they've done some studies that show there's sort of a, a very... Yeah, a minimum amount. Yeah, minimum effective dose is 400 hours a day. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> All day, every day. What the fuck is that? <laughs> I can't <laughs> do that. Just keep uh, breathing. She set it up to, she, she sounded like it was going to be too good, so I had to just throw it out. Of, no, there's lots of different, so... The minimum seems to be around like 12 minutes, 10 to 12 minutes seems to be like the, this isn't like, oh, I'm going to be a monk and I'm going to be zen down. Life's going to, this is just like to see any effects that are like meaningful in your life, but not like floating on clouds all day, about 12 minutes. The tr There's lots of like areas that this pulls from. So like Herbert Benson at, uh, he discovered the relaxation response. He said about 10 to 12 minutes. Um, Amishi Jaw, she's like this world-renowned expert in attention, how our attention works. She discovered 12 minutes for training our attention. Then there's like people studying heart rate variability and nervous system regulation. They found about 10 minutes a day is enough to see meaningful improvements in heart rate variability. Um, and so it kind of draws from all those. It seems like around 10 to 12 minutes is the sweet spot. But if like you're real stressed, you have some really crazy thing, you know, you could do like two 20 minute sessions or, you know, to reset your nervous system and then, you know, taper it down. But, uh, you, you know, there's more like extreme interventions that can be helpful in some cases. But I always start with just the 12 minutes a day with people because it's so people are so busy, like everyone's got too much to do. No one wants to be told that they need 20 minutes in the morning and 20 minutes in the evening. And so if, if science tells me I can do 12 minutes and help them, that's what I'll go with. So that's where mm -hmm. I start with people. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. That's oh. beautiful. <laughs> and you can also, you know, really, and this is like super woo woo sounding, but when you slow down and breathe slowly, you can really like create time for yourself. Like it actually, it's like, Oh, I don't, I don't have time to do this can become, I create time by doing this because like you're actually training your awareness you're slowing things down in life, right? Like when you walk outside after a breathing practice, like you notice the trees, like you notice you're aware of life. You actually live more of the life you are living, which is the most powerful part, right? To actually experience being alive. And so when you do these practices, think of it as like, I'm creating more life because I'm going to actually notice my life. I'm actually going to have gratitude. I'm going to be experiencing it. So that's a way to frame it to motivate people. I love that because we don't often recognize that the time is an emotional experience mm -hmm. and exactly. every day we have like the exact same amount of time and sometimes it feels like we have enough time. Sometimes it feels like we don't have enough time. And so I love that, that we are actually creating time because we're regulating ourselves emotionally. We're creating that greater attention, that greater awareness, that greater clarity in our mind, more space in our thoughts, in our mind regulating our nervous system, regulating our, our emotions. And so then we can face things and handle things in a way that feels more regulated, more calm, more centered, which gives us the feeling and the sense that we have more time. It's, it's yeah. amazing. Cause I, I do yeah. really feel like the, the value of the 30 years that we put into our yoga practice, which is occasionally, um, you, there are doubts. <laughs> 
but the value seems to be that there is a reflex in your nervous system for regulating yourself and that you you have an awareness of when you're dysregulated mm-hmm. and which is you know so similar to your to our entire childhoods and and adolescence and then he's like oh i i'm going back into that dysregulated state i'm going to do something to regulate myself i'll take a breath for 12 minutes i remember to put my phone down remember to actually you know just you know enjoy the walk with the dogs rather than try and get work done while i'm walking the dogs mm-hmm. you know and you just you see something happening and you remember to breathe. And that's so much the hardest part about being dysregulated, being stressed out, being worried is remembering that you have a technology to, to bring yourself back to um, centeredness. Yeah. Amazing. Like you're describing, you know, the whole point of meditation, right? Meta awareness, like Mm. noticing when your mind is being drawn to different things that are harm, like that aren't helping. And then, having the awareness just like when you focus on your breath and you come back to it and come back to it to like bring it back like okay mm-hmm. i'm spiraling out of control right now or i'm i'm letting this thought win or i'm you know going and and so developing that that meta awareness is like the maybe the the best of all the benefits of it is like mm-hmm. just that like knowing your you need to change something right and that's like yeah. super helpful Yeah. And I love that about the breath too. And this relates to what you were saying, Russell, and also what we've been talking about, um, that it really is like the best tool that we have to help us feel embodied immediately. Like it brings us into that present moment. It brings us into the now because you can't think about breathing and be aware of your breath and be thinking about like, anything else really right like so all of a sudden you're like in this moment with this breath in the now in your body feeling the sensations it's it's such a powerful powerful tool um of of meditation and of any kind of somatic embodiment practices it's i think the most effective thing to help calm the mind and bring us into present moment awareness yeah and it's that's a, one of the, yeah, that should, I want to emphasize that because it's like your breath is always there. It's so obvious that we always can breathe. But like when you take it, like you just explained it, it creates so much power because it's like, I'll be, and I know I talk about this a lot in the course because I do it all the time, but it's like, <laughs> I'll be at the park with my daughter and I don't like think, oh, I'm going to do breath work and focus on my breath, but I, my breath will bring me back and remind me, hey, you're thinking about work right now. You're thinking about a mm-hmm. post you're going to make. You're thinking about something <laughs> that's completely irrelevant to life. And it's like, okay, I'm back. I'm back in my breath. I'm back home. Okay, back to my daughter. Now, like, it's not like, oh, let's just focus on our breath all day. And yeah. that's, that's not like, to me, that's not the point. It's like to actually live, like to live life. And so, having that tool that's always with you to bring you back is super powerful. Yeah. Yeah. And if you notice, like if you're starting to feel, I mean, I do this all the time. If you know, there's, you're starting to feel like feelings of anxiety or, or anxiousness or tightness in the breath or your thoughts are racing or whatever it is, you feel your heart rate increasing. Mm -hmm. You can always use that breath to just like really slowing down your breath and using that as an immediate tool 
lengthening the exhale, you know, helping you to stimulate the parasympathetic response to bring you into this moment. It's so effective. And it's like an immediate remedy to (laughs) help you calm, calm down. You don't have to take a pill. You know, if people want to take a pill, because it's easy, just, you know, take two minutes and slow your breathing down and get really, really aware of your breathing. It's just as easy. And it's just as effective, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's right in front of your nose, right? It's almost so obvious. It's <laughs> yeah. like all great answers, right? It's just right, right there and right in plain sight. Yeah, so simple. So simple. Yeah, that, so that. simple. It's like almost embarrassing. I feel like a used car salesman most of the time. Cause I'm like, <laughs> but wait, there's more. It also does this. And I was just like, it's so ridiculous, but it's, mm. it's like, it's all pretty true. Like it's just, yeah, yeah it's crazy. Yeah, it's amazing. Ah, that that said, there is there is room in the conversation for for barbiturates. Anytime <laughs> we want to take a chill pill, you can also take a barbiturate and enjoy the rest of your afternoon. I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the show, and you've been amazing. I I it would be a shame to shoot you off to space because you belong right here on Earth with the rest of us. So. <laughs> You're really much more useful no down here. So. I like Earth a lot. I, no, I don't want to go anywhere else. <laughs> Thank you so much, Nick, for coming on today. Thanks. All right. Thanks a lot. Well, I hope you loved that conversation as much as I did, learning about some of the benefits of oxygen and nitric oxides, two powerful um, gases that we have in our body that we can use to optimize our energy and our ability to focus and that can just help us feel more connected deeply how to center and ground and improve our sleep and you know Nick had so many wonderful examples about how his own health has improved by really prioritizing and focusing on his breathwork practice daily. So I would love for you to join me this weekend. Uh, if you know that this is the next step in your spiritual path, if you've tried breathing practices before but you didn't enjoy them or they didn't feel like they were working or they made you feel more anxious, if you feel stuck when it comes to how to really help your students or your clients connect to their breath or what to do at the end of a yoga class or the beginning of a coaching session to really help to center and ground your clients or your students, this is going to be the perfect masterclass for you. I hope that you'll join me. It's going to be really fun. We're going to have a great time. We're going to be breathing and focusing. And if nothing else, you're going to walk away from this class, this workshop, feeling like... um, You have a practice that you can do, something that will serve you, something that you can show your kids, your clients, that you can help people in your life and help yourself reduce anxiety, to calm down immediately, to sleep better at night. Um, You're going to just walk away feeling really, really refreshed, deeply, deeply um, connected to yourself. And I would love to hear how it affects the rest of your day and if nothing else try it for a week after you sign up for the workshop and let me know how it affects the rest of your week so you know breathwork practice is the um, is a great tool but it's a cumulative effect right you can't just do it once and expect things to change just like you can't take one 
medicine, one pill from your medicine bottle and expect to be healthy or healed or the infection to go away, you have to take one pill daily, every day in order for the effects the effects to accumulate and for your body to really receive the benefits of that medication. Pranayama is the same. Conscious breathing is the same. The more you do it, the more regular regular you are with the practice, the more healing and the more benefits you will feel. So come into my masterclass. The link is in the show notes or head on over to my website. You'll see a link right in the banner at the top. Uh, It's harmonyslater.com forward slash free dash breathwork dash masterclass and sign up. I would love to have you join me this weekend. Uh, Again, there's two times, two days, and I'm here to support you in your spiritual growth, in the growth of your yoga practice and developing more limbs of the yoga practice for yourself and for your life. Thanks for listening to this episode of Finding Harmony with me, your host, Harmony Slater. You can find out more information on my website, harmonyslater.com, and I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Standing in eternity's shadow, watching the breaking waves. There's a hard wind and the soil